You're listening to the Saturday Morning RPG Show with Jordan, the PH is silent, and Sir Lucian. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Saturday Morning RPG Show. Uh, my name is Jordan with the silent PH in the middle, and filling in for Lucian is our good friend Lex over at Dink Dungeons, wearing a killer t-shirt, or shirt today, I should say. Like, well, I've got, so I got the Hawaiian, but yeah. then I've also got... Oh, the real Ghostbusters show. Real Ghostbusters slime or eating the pizza pie. Is that uh is that going on tonight? Are you doing another It is going on tonight, okay. yeah. That's I'm yeah. dressed. This is my outfit for that show. Oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, if you guys don't know, Lex is running the West End Games D six um uh Ghostbusters game. Like from nineteen eighty six? Yep. Okay, yeah. That's D6, fitting. Nineteen eighty six. Yeah, that's fitting. <laughs> Um, and I have sadly only caught the first, the first episode, uh, but it's on my like queue to watch the rest of them because I really enjoyed yeah. the first episode. But, uh, now I'm curious, how is that going? Like, oh, it's going great. Yeah. I mean, I've gotten really positive feedback, especially from the players, but they're like the, the audience regulars on that channel are also really into it. Nice. Um, and you can tell because uh, Indoor Adventures, where it's it's hosted, and you can, if you want to watch previous episodes, there is a YouTube channel. He, like, basically immediately uploads to YouTube, and I think there's playlists for all his different mm-hmm. shows. So very easy to check out um, and watch if you want to catch up. But the um, they, he does a whole thing on Discord where viewers get to write in. They, like, join the Discord, and then they uh, can write in questions in the Discord chat during the show and then there's an after show that's private for like patrons or something and right. we just answer the discord chat questions uh and it's great because you we get a lot of interaction there so i'm like oh cool it's not only that people are interacting on twitch but they're also like in the community going to the discord um posing questions about the game yeah and then like yeah so it's it's really nice i, I really like the, the that community over there yeah he's 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 built, uh, I, I don't want to say an empire, but he's got a really good like group of people that he's working with. He's, so. So he's got 900 followers on Twitter. It's not that big. <laughs> but the people who are there are very they're nice. They're very into it, yeah. Them. And they're really nice yeah. and stuff. So um, it's good people. It's cool. Uh, we, we're going to talk about lots of RPG stuff today, I suppose. Um, but do we do that on this show? Do you like to talk about I, RPG things? I do. I talk about RPG things here and there. Uh, Weird. Okay. Um, I don't, you, you probably don't listen, but uh, lately Lucian has been getting really into Pathfinder. And so we've been oh. having like a Paizo corner and he talks about all of the Paizo news. And I am always astonished at how much they publish. Like, it seems like every month it's like, here's like a new huge adventure and here's this. And we've got like a vampire book. And I don't know, like their uh, Paizo has got the the formula down to getting content out. Uh, and usually it's really good too. It's not just like fluff stuff that kind of falls out. But uh, but Paizo aside, I want to talk about Cobalt Press and Project Black Flag. Um, this was uh, we had a playtest number two released, uh, and mm-hmm. you told me about it, and then I said send it to me because I forgot to sign up for the email list, so I don't <laughs> actually have a link. <laughs> Please, I can't get this free document. Send yeah, it to me. I like, All right. <laughs> but I I read through it um, and. I, w- I wanted, I don't know, like, you, you are a game designer. Uh, I'm an aspiring game designer. And this feels very 5E. I think we felt from the first uh, Project Black Flag playtest that it was, like, 5E revisited in a way. Um, what, what did you think about it? 
Like, is it is it heading in the right direction? Yes. Well, it depends what your expectations are, right? I think yeah, I did true. a whole Twitter thread where I did like a read through on this. And I finished the thread by saying, when I read this document, I get the same feeling that I got in 2009 when I first cracked Pathfinder. Oh, okay. Right. So it's just like, okay, I'm reading this. I'm like, yes, this is the edition of D&D that I was just playing, except the balance is better. The abilities are a little more interesting. Everything seems more well thought out. Coming um, from 3.5 to Pathfinder in a way. Yes, yeah. that's so that same feeling that I yeah, right. So so that's what I get with Black Flag and that's if that's what you want, then that's perfect. Mm. It's it's hitting that note perfectly if that's the the song you're looking to play, right? Um but if you're not looking for that, I can understand why you might be a little annoyed about it, right? The um and I think there was like some pushback online because it was too similar to 5e i think with the initial packet right mm -hmm. and i think if those people are still around and looking for it to be different they're still gonna get real upsetty spaghetti right <laughs> the um, uh but those people this isn't for them because that's not what this is right yeah. this is uh a retooling of fifth edition and uh yeah yeah they some some other people brought it up that like uh well actually i think it was project black flag that eventually wizards will stop publishing 5e content just like they stopped publishing uh 4e and 3.5 and stuff and so yes you can get a lot of the pdfs but if you still want to play 3.5 it's a little more difficult to go out and find a book uh and this is a way to preserve fifth edition kind of like what pathfinder did i guess is they preserved yeah. um 3.5 and so mm -hmm. uh yeah i i agree i think uh we talked about it on this show that when the OGL wars happened and everyone was like freaking out and Cobalt Press came in with this like Project Black Flag, it was every uh it was everything we ever wanted without ha without us having seen it. And so you build it up in your mind that it's like, oh my god, it's gonna solve all these problems. It's gonna be the perfect system. This is amazing. And then when you read it, you're like, oh it's just 5e kind of again. But it's a 5e hack. But I think you're absolutely yeah. right. Like it, it does what it set out to do, which is, mm -hmm. you know, all the Kobold Press books that they've made are now going to be able to be used with this new system. So, you know, their library is good. And yeah, so I don't know. I was uh I, I felt very similar, but I, I did enjoy this playtest. Um I specifically wanted to talk about luck and how you felt about that. So in Oops. Project Black Flag, you have a max of five points of luck and mm. you spend you can spend them for a one-to-one -to, -one to help a roll so if i roll a 12 i could spend two to make it a 14 but i have to tell that before i know if it hits or or misses um and dungeon crawl classics has luck where there's no limit on the amount of luck you can spend but there's a downside to using it and this doesn't have a downside, which is usually by 5e design. Like, 5e doesn't mm. want to hurt your players or make your players uh, sacrifice something. And I feel like luck doesn't work out if you can't sacrifice. So I, I don't know. What did you think of luck? <laughs> well, okay, so I think that um, to our point earlier about how this is a hack of 5e, the luck thing is probably the most significant departure that you're seeing from 5e so yeah. far in black flag um and i'm into that because 
I'm one of those people who like stuff that's more different, mm-hmm. right? Doesn't mean I don't like Black Flag, but it does no, mean no, that yeah. like, you know, I would prefer the DCC or Shadow Dark or something like that. Um where we're really going in a more different direction with the rules. Uh so so yeah, I think that luck is the thing in this packet that goes the farthest from 5e vanilla. So I'm the most into it. But I know that is not a sentiment that is shared among a lot of people. I think I was watching Mr. Tarask's video where he talked about the um the packet and that was like the thing that he didn't like. Uh, really? Be- okay. And I think and I think that's because he's coming at it from the opposite perspective of me where he's like he's more interested in just a refined version of 5e mm-hmm. and since this is so different it like rubs him the wrong way and that's totally fine, right? Cuz you know, diff- different strokes for different folks. Uh the but yeah, luck points uh, I'm fine with them not having a downside. I like that it's a a wildly fluctuating pool of resource. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, cuz like you said, you have a max of 5, you start with none. And then when you fail a roll, you get one. And when you do a cool RP thing or problem solve, the, you know, the way inspiration used to work, yeah. you get one uh, at DM's discretion. And what was the third thing? Like, oh, you finish a difficult encounter. Yeah. So or a quest also or sort of DM yeah. discretion. But uh, so you get them there. So because of the roll failure thing, you're probably going to get them pretty frequently. And then if you get over five, you have to roll a D4 and then it resets to that. So you're really encouraging, the game is encouraging you to spend these luck mm-hmm. points as much as possible. Which, as a design, to... I like that, where it's like, if I get yeah. to five, like, that's a fun gambling thing. In a, I, I shouldn't say gambling, but, like, getting to, man, I could get a plus five to a roll, but, like, the minute somebody something happens and I go over five, I'm going to have to, like, reset my, my luck, mm-hmm. and that's kind of frustrating, so... Yeah. So you're in, I like that as a design. Like you're encouraged to spend it, but you're also uh high high reward if you can hoard it long enough kind of a mm. thing. <laughs> so so yeah, I think that 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 rapid fluctuation could be really fun in play cuz it sort of introduces this element of chaos to your decision making that um I enjoy quite a bit. Is it better than so inspiration? Y- is it better than inspiration? Yes, because anything's better than inspiration. There you go. Um, that is the, the short answer. answer. <laughs> I mean, inspiration I don't hate as a mechanic, but in practical play, never remember to use it. Like, it's not, it's just giving you advantage, which there's all these other things that give you advantage. So it's not mechanically interesting in a way will this that be other similar? things aren't. Uh, another resource to track, so to speak. Like, will people forget about it? Well, that's the thing. I don't think they will because you're getting it so easily. Okay. So it, it's just going to come up really often, whereas mm-hmm. inspiration didn't come up as often. Uh, so, so yeah, I think because it comes up so often, people will pay attention to it. I think the only downside to it for me th- is the idea that, like, here's another thing to track yeah, on my yeah. character sheet. And f- to, me, to me personally, 5e already has too much of that. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of like, I would actually love to take the luck mechanic out of this and put it in old school essentials yeah, or derf mm. or, um, and that's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> you know? I thought that too. Like I thought this was a, a really cool idea, but not for five E for some reason. Like it just, I don't feel like a lot of players need that extra plus one plus two, you know, like, oh, I'm just inching over to hit, whereas mm-hmm. old school essentials, like, you are 
very close to not hitting a lot because like, you know, you have a negative one in strength. So that plus two luck really helps and comes in clutch. Yeah, it has more less, value in feeling. Like There's less swing in 5e because you have bigger bonuses, yeah. right? Um, the whole high level rogue problem where it's like you just can't fail your stealth check. Yes. Even even before you introduce the mechanic where everything is set to 10 bits, yes. right? Um, <laughs> even before that, it's like, okay, if I have a plus 8 to stealth, right? Like, mm. the average roll I'm going to get on a d20 is probably a 10, which means I have an 18, so I'm, like, basically solving all those DC 15 rolls, like, all the time. Uh, there was another thing somebody had a problem with with luck that I was reading about online, and it was a good thing to bring up, but now I don't remember what it is. So give me one second to look it up. Oh, yeah, no problem. Um, um, I have the document, but I have it. It's so small. My monitor isn't big enough. So something know. about DCC luck that I really enjoy, though, is you have a luck stat, and that will give you a plus minus bonus like a modifier. But if you, there's a lot of times where you roll under your luck. So the act of spending your luck to be lucky in the moment causes you to have bad luck later on. And I think that's what I wanted out of this system for 5e. But going back, like that's, I don't know, not typical of 5e design where it's like, oh, if I use this resource in the future, I'm going to have a hard time. And yeah, that. I like, I like, personally, I like that idea of like, wow, I got to make a hard choice right now, or I could hold on to my cool luck and have, I don't know, all the luck points, mm -hmm. but. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, right? Because in DCC, it's like, not only can you burn it, but it's also the, has the luck stat, which is a roll under mechanic. Yeah. Um, which I notice is one of the things that always trips new dcc players up yeah because they'll be like everything's roll over except for luck which is roll under yeah uh and i get it that's fair so i totally understand why you wouldn't want to port that over wholesale because yeah, then yeah. you're gonna confuse people in that way also again like let's add a seventh ability score <laughs> yeah that's why. not that wouldn't be good at all so so yeah i feel like this kind of did um poured over sort of the feel of DCC luck without all of the mechanical baggage of it, which I appreciate. Have you played uh, with Lankmar at all or read Lankmar for DCC? I have not DCC? played any Lankmar yet. They have, I have the a bunch of the books, but I haven't yeah, played it. They have fleeting luck for that, um, mm. which when certain things happen, like if you, I don't know, if you take down a monster, you everybody at the table gets like a fleeting luck or that person gets a fleeting luck. And it operates just like regular luck in DCC, but um, it will go away at the end of the session. And it also goes away if anyone, any player rolls a natural one, everybody loses all of their fleeting luck. Cause it's like, well, that bad stuff just happened. Everybody lost it. So uh, with that, again, you're incentivized to spend it and use it to help you in battle because it could go away. Like the next character's turn could roll yeah. a natural one mm -hmm. and it's all gone. Mm -hmm. um, and this felt similar to that, which I thought was kind of interesting, uh, except for the, you know, it only goes away if you hoard more than five, but <laughs> mm. the, uh, okay. So, so spending luck, the thing I want to point out mechanically that mm -hmm. I think somebody um, on uh, yeah, I think it was on Twitter, maybe somewhere else pointed out, maybe it was a comment in uh, Mr. Track's video, but it was a very good point, which is that spending lock points says you can choose to spend your lock points in this way after you make a roll, but before the DM declares whether the roll succeeded or failed, 
in practice that never works yes <laughs> because it's it's like that window of time like doesn't actually exist like sometimes it does but usually it doesn't it, it does if the player is knowledgeable and like like we've we've been at the table where people like oh, don't say anything yet because i yeah. just rolled a 17 and i have to think about it but that's a conscious player stopping the dm because he knows mm-hmm. the rules and you don't have that in uh everyday life i feel <laughs> And it's just, you know, it's one of those things that that slows the game experience down even more, which mm-hmm. you never want to do, right? So it's either everyone's always remembering this, and then it's not a problem, but that never happens. So then it's like you have to make gameplay slower to accommodate for that rule text. Also, like, have the DM set, tell you what the check save DC yeah. is. And then you can be like, I rolled a 13, Oh, it's a fifteen. Do I want to spend luck? Because that's that's yeah. like that's the conversation you want to be having at yes. the table. Uh, that to me, that's the more interesting one. Whereas the the way the rule is written, it's I rolled a thirteen, and the game master's like, "Okay, I'm not gonna t- like. Do you want to use luck?" <laughs> and then the player's like, "Is it a DC fifteen? Is it not? I'm not sure." And I guess there is some merit to like that tension. But again, like it's just never something that ends up working in play without everyone it's, it's constantly awkward, reminding. Yeah, it's an awkward conversation yeah. because it's like I'm trying to read the game master's mind when we should just be having. I should be having a thought of like, do I want to spend this resource to to make sure this outcome happens? You know. Yeah. Um, and I like that more. So I don't know. Well, I'm excited. I'm. I guess I'm excited because I just like RPGs. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes in the future um and celeste were there any other like big points about the playtest pack you wanted to talk about not Um, really i just kind of like luck like i i i the fighter has the same problems that i feel i have with every fighter which i want i want there to be paths based on the weapon so like if i have a sword and shield i should be able to do cool sword and shield things and the the maneuvers kind of do that, but it really makes everything versatile, where it's like, well, if I pick up a hammer, now I can suddenly do all these other cool maneuvers. And I'm like, what if there was a hammer path? What if there was a javelin path? Uh, mm. And I've never, I've never, much like we have magic paths, like I can use all magic, but I'm specialized in uh, conjuration or something. Uh, I've, I've always felt that that would be a good fix for fighters, but I've never really seen it implemented Granted, I haven't read every RPG written, but <laughs> yeah, the um, that's interesting because it's like, always like you can um, use any weapon, and I'm like, eh, what if you're just really want to be good at sword and shield? Or well, or, that's yeah. So that's actually kind of how third edition works, sort of with feats. Really, right? Okay. It's because as a fighter, you can use every weapon, but then you're like, do I want to be really good at using long swords? Cool. Here's the long sword feat tree. Oh, okay, and the trees. Yeah, so you have all the different. Like, you could take it multiple mm-hmm. times to get extra things, so... Yeah. I assume. I mean, it's not exactly like that, but it's effectively like, okay. a lot like that. So, so yeah, the... um, So, you could kind of do that in third. There's just a lot of minutia. I assume in Pathfinder, that there's probably options for that, because it's based yeah. off in third. Um, but I was just going to say, I feel like, after reading this packet, it feels like a lot of thought went into the fighter... And I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And while it doesn't do the thing that you're looking for, I think it does do a lot of good stuff that make fighters feel very much so. Um, feel special and good at fighting. Like you can't fight the way a fighter can fight unless you're a fighter. 
or you take a wizard subclass that makes it dark. <laughs> no, uh, but yeah, th the the martial actions I think really go a long way to doing that. That's very cool, and there's no dead levels, which is also great. The um, the spell spell sword or the the Eldritch Knight two point oh. Um, yes. I played an Eldritch Knight back in the day, and mm -hmm. it's one of those where I wanted to love it, and I and it just was never that good compared to everybody else at my table. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of the fixes that the Blade Singer got, like being able to extra attack with a cantrip and then a sword attack, like I don't know why the Eldritch Knight didn't have that. Um, that was all fixed with this, and I was and so I was like, man, I really want to play that this Black Flag uh, spell fighter. Like it seems like that's the kind of melee magic that i would be interested in so hmm. i don't know yeah so i feel like the fighter very well thought out yeah. well put together i like where celeste is going with that by contrast i really didn't like the wizard very much mm -hmm. i think especially on reflection it it just there's i mentioned this in my thread but especially the whole section on the spell book it's just copy pasted from 5e mm -hmm. And all the spellbook stuff for the wizard, in my opinion, way too complicated. Like in um in your game in yeah. in uh, uh, Great Modron uh, March. uh Modron March. Yeah. I can't find to say Rod of Seven Parts. <laughs> <laughs> Rod of Seven the, Parts uh, Part Two. Part two. Rod of Eight Parts. The um Ted and I are always like, let's copy spells into our spell books. Yeah. And then we have to all I always have to flip back to that text in the player's handbook and look at like, oh, how much is this gonna cost and how many hours is it gonna take? Yeah. And I got to do the math for that. And I got and I was like, it really rubbed me the wrong way that that was completely unchanged in Black Flag. I'm like, please, that system is terrible. Just implement yeah. anything else. And I, I think at my table I've done and I don't know why. I guess we've been playing by the rules like you and Ted know the rules. So you're just kind of looking it up and I'm letting you like, OK, figure it out. Um, but honestly, if if you want there to be a sliver of failure, like it should just be like, you got a new spell. Is it of a level that you could learn it? You know, because like, is it of a level that you could learn it hmm. on a long rest? You learn it or it's in your book now. Like that would be such a simpler mechanic. And if you want them to lose, uh, not I, the gold never really, I don't know. I don't really understand why you lose gold learning it. Like gold I do is... understand, but it doesn't, Nobody else has this problem, and it's kind of frustrating. So yeah, I acquiring I would say, gold is not relevant to any class except wizards. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I would say like, no, you uh, you learn a new spell. Um, if you want a chance for failure, then say like you have to roll over the the spell level in order to succeed. So a ninth level spell is you know fifty percent, whereas like a fifth level spell, you have a higher chance of learning it. Hmm. Um, so I don't know. So yeah, the um <laughs> so it felt so I was annoyed that a lot of the stuff was copy pasted and not altered for wizard. Yeah. Um wizards get magic sense, which slaps. It's just what wizards effectively already do, but now With they arcana. don't have to take With the spell. Every GM uses Arcana in this way of like, do I sense well, any magic? <laughs> yeah, or it's like everyone who's a wizard takes um detect magic yeah. and then cast it as a ritual so they all effectively already have this ability yeah. so now it's just an ability they which have, is which was good been, yeah um but then they put detect magic in as a spell in the packet so i'm like but then why didn't you just eliminate the spell uh so that was weird but the other thing was the subclasses are battle mage and cantrip adept yeah and 
Cantrip Adept is just a port from another Cobalt Press thing, and it has like, it's there's like no flavor to it at all. It is very bland, uh, oh. and I'm not interested in playing it at all. It's just what? like, look, I'm good at Cantrips. Ladies and gentlemen, ba- I might run out of minutes. Uh, you should yeah. have me host the meeting. <laughs> I should I have, have had you host the thing. meeting. You did I have. I thought two people could talk for uh, up to an hour, but it says I have ten minutes left. So. Oh, I guess it's only a half an hour now. Do we do we'll, we want to drop and you send me a new link? <laughs> yeah. Well, let's finish up the conversation okay. on Black Flag and then we'll drop okay. because that we'll do that in less than nine minutes. Uh. So okay. So yeah, the the cantrip thing feels super boring. It just makes you better at cantrips. I'm like, yeah. okay, I don't care about having a subclass to be better at cantrips. And then the other one makes you a fighter wizard, which is like not bad. But with this packet, I cannot play a vanilla wizard. Yeah, that's true. And and for playtesting, I want to do that. Like yeah. I want to be like, oh, I'm gonna play, or maybe like a a wizard that's more classical, like a divination or a necromancer. Yeah. And I just can't do that. And it feels like a huge misstep because this is the first playtest for wizard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, like they both fighter... felt very specialized. But the fighter, mm-hmm. the 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 one with all the maneuvers, that did feel feel. Uh, yes like that, the type of fighter you like want to play yeah you would want classic play fighter because mm-hmm. yeah. they it seems like they're eliminating champion fighter and combining it with battle master mm-hmm. and that's what the new person is so cool yeah that's basically a vanilla fancy fighter whatever and then you have fighter wizard but yeah, yeah with wizard it's just cantrips or fighter wizard and i don't i'm not, I, I don't know it doesn't feel right to me so mm-hmm. i was a little annoyed they also added rituals as like a new spell category which yeah. again is like it's it makes sense but now you have made the class more complicated yeah. and i was like please it's already a complicated class just make it a little less complicated yeah i think so, i think i've always wanted every spell to be able to be cast as a ritual mm. um like if i want to spend an hour to cast a fireball i can do that without expending a spell slot um and maybe there's something broken about that uh but if you do that and then every spell just has a um, casting time, I think players would naturally figure out which ones they want to cast as a ritual because it's like, well, this has an hour casting time. I don't really need I could add 10 minutes to it and cast it as a ritual. Mm-hmm. It's like, there you go. That's what you need. Yeah. But maybe um, maybe that but doesn't that's work in practice. Stuff. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, spell spell levels are called circles now yeah cool okay arcane circles and divine circles yeah and there was one feat that was they're calling feats talents that -hmm. was like you can specialize in a school of magic and then you would get like a plus one to your necromancy attacks and spell checks and stuff if you took that which felt like oh i'm specializing in a specific type of magic and then I was thinking, I'm like, I really feel like that talent should just be applied to a subclass. Like, if I am a, am a necromancer, all of my necromantic spells should have that plus one, as opposed yeah. to taking a, a feat that does that, or a, a talent. Mm-hmm. But, I don't know. Six, it's, a, it's also a playtest. Everything could change. But it is interesting and fun sure. to talk about. So, yeah. um, Don't go away. I'm actually going to leave the stream up, so you'll be able to hear me. But uh, we're going to end the Zoom call and then rejoin so that we can talk longer than six minutes. So uh, are you going to you'll send me one, I assume? Yeah, I'll send you a link. Okay, cool. We'll be back in like, well, I'll still talk to you. So here we go. (laughs) 
Yeah, see, I'm still here. You just can't see anything. That's how it's working. And then uh, our good boy Lex will send us uh, a Zoom call. I need to buy Zoom, guys. That's what has to happen. It's ridiculous. It's just that uh, Lucian always has Zoom, and he pays, he has Zoom through his office. And so there we go. There we go. And we're back. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Wow. Yeah, I cast invisibility. That's a good joke. I like that because everything <laughs> went dark and I was gone for a little bit. Um, uh. Let's talk about Shadow Dark RPG. I I think I need to back this now just because uh, it's so overperforming. But um, you're this getting is, FOMO. Yeah, I'm getting the FOMO. I'm feeling it. But Shadow Dark RPG is a OSR 5e hack. Uh, it's um, it looks really cool. It's written by the Arcane Library, and uh, Kelsey, who is the Arcane Library, has a YouTube channel, and she's been working on this for a long time. And this might be for a lot of reasons, but uh, it could be the first OSR Kickstarter to go over one million. Um, and I don't know if that's true, but I was kind of like thinking about it. I was looking at stuff because I know like the avatar game. I don't think mothership went over a million. Like, I don't know. I, I do want to back this up. I want to go like, look at it later. So take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. But as of right now, it's at (laughs) $930,000. Like it's, and it's got 11 days to get to, like uh, a million and so i don't know i'm oh man this is crazy i looked at a couple of the other of the things about this and i like i like what i see um it's i don't Um, wanna i'm not trying to be rude to kelsey because she's a very good designer the art looks really cool and all this other stuff but i just backed um other things like the the black sword hack and a lot of other stuff. And I'm kind of looking at this and I'm like, why, what is setting this apart from other things? So, uh, I don't know. Can you okay, answer I'm that? Okay, I'm going to drop some facts on you. Mothership did 1.4 million. Okay. I was yeah, wrong then. So it was bigger. You could Is Mothership OSR? Or is it its own I was going to say, you could. So I feel like Mothership is OSR, but it's not fantasy. Yeah. Right? So it's, uh, so maybe this is the first OSR fantasy thing. Cause yeah, we look at Goodman game stuff, which usually do very, very well yeah. in the like OSR fantasy space and they don't do anywhere near a million. Right. Mm-hmm. I think like dungeon denizens is their best performing one. It's like yep. 300 or 250. It's, it's over 300 now. Um, okay. it might be 350. They actually, I had the Goodman game designers on the show last week and we talked about it. Um, yeah, they, it was really cool. Uh, well, step down this week, but Gosh. even then, that's a that Dungeon Denizens is a five E product as well, and so that's true. I, yeah, I don't know. And uh, Monty Cook Games, that I don't think they've broken a million with a lot of their Kickstarters, but their highest grossing ones are five uh, E compatible stuff as well. Like you know, Arcana of the Ancients did very very well. And for Monty Cook Games, but that was like a 5e tie-in. And then they always kind of make, like, I don't know how well Tolis did, but that was 5e. And then they make their Cypher system version kind of Mm -hmm. like, because we already have the art. We have all this other stuff. We might as well make a Cypher version to support our own game. So, yeah. Um, So I think the reason for Shadow Dark success 
is a confluence of things. Yes. One of them is the OGL debacle. And I'm not ranking these among more or less important. Just put that out there. But I think one of them is the OGL debacle, and everyone was like, I want something that I can identify as D&D, but is not 5e, and that is easy to digest. And I think this definitely does that. Two is I think the OSR community is um, a strong community that supports each other. And that's definitely part of it. Three, I think there's really good design sense in this book, not just in terms of the writing, but in terms of the layout, yep. the way the character sheets are put together, and the uh, the presentation of materials, including physical materials. So you've got the game book, but you've also got a DM screen that looks really nice. You've got three zines that are gonna that can come with it. You've got character sheets with gorgeous art on them, and it's all like really well packaged, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of it. And I think also um, uh, Kelsey Dion, the Arcane Library, has spent years really well cultivating her audience through some really well-written adventures for 5e and a really good like email list and just being like, consistently putting out solid work and developing a fan base. So I think it's like all of those things came together at exactly the right time. Mm-hmm. And oh, and this game had a very good advertising budget. I think that's I'll, I'll also mention yeah. that. that is important. Yeah, um, uh, I actually talked to her and I think she spent. Well, I shouldn't say because I don't know if that was privileged information, but she spent a lot of money mm-hmm. on advertising um, and it works because I see this topic and part of it is that it's almost at a million. And so then I think Kickstarter is like, OK, let's talk, you know, bring it up to the front page a little bit more, but I'm mm. seeing it all over advertising wise. Oh yeah. Um, I see it on Instagram all the time. Yeah. I see it on, uh, well, I'm not really on Facebook very much, but yeah, I see it on Instagram. I see it on Twitter. I don't know. Old school essentials, advanced fantasy, uh, did 290,000 of a $20,000 goal. And then I look at, mm. um, at Kelsey's game at shadow dark and it's like nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars i'm like oh my gosh or 930 or something but um but you know i do want to reiterate she's a very excellent designer it looks really really cool um and i'm happy with a lot of people who are going to take it and start playing but i just look at a lot of these like like i don't know games that i really enjoy too like morkborg and you know like you don't see that same million dollar level but uh, maybe this is just 5e adjacent enough. Uh, oh, yeah. What did so. Morkborg do? Did you look that up? I did not, but I'm, I'm curious cu- I'm curious. <laughs> I mean, I know it didn't make a million, but I'm curious how much that one made. Oh, there's too many Morkborg uh, supplement <laughs> adventures to, to find through all many these. Too many people made. <laughs> oh, here we Okay, I found the original one, I think. Uh, almost 500k. Or no, that's in their strange European currency. I don't know what that is in U.S. <laughs> dollars. I assume it's not that different. Let me check. Oh, yeah. And someone, uh, thank you, James. James posted that Tolis was at um, $780,000. But again, that was like a 5e product for the most part. So. Oh, okay. If I calculated this properly, I don't know if I did. I, t- I punched it into Google. I don't well, know then how you didn't calculate it at all. Google did. I didn't calculate it at all. Uh, apparently, the Morkborg main <clears throat> 489k in Swedish kr- krona, 
um, which comes out to a uh, forty-five. 45k in US dollars. Yeah, $45,000, yeah. All those uh uh free league stuff I buy. It's it's looks mm. really weird on your credit card when it's like you were just charged like 4,000 and I'm like, "What?" and then it's like, "Oh, what? $60." Okay. <laughs> um yeah, that's interesting cuz like, wow, that's so different. Um in terms of exchange rate and in terms of side tangent about Morpork. Lots of people have done very successful Morkborg Kickstarters, and I would hazard a guess that several people have done six Kickstarters for Morkborg supplements that have done more money than Morkborg did. Oh, probably, yeah. Yeah, because my friend... <clears throat> my voice is leaving me. Yep. My friend did a Morkborg Kickstarter uh, six months ago. Was that Cyborg or, or the... No, no, no. there was... Uh, no, he didn't back one. He did one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I thought... Yeah. Uh, I remember it had a catchy name, so... Oh, Castaway. Oh, okay. Was it. it was the pirate, yeah, which was, yeah, it was. It's not pirate Borg, but it's pirate Borg. Okay. Uh, but he did thirty or forty k. Yeah. So he did like almost as much as Mork Borg did when it first kickstarted, which is very interesting to me. So it's interesting how that's grown, mm -hmm. right? But um, yeah. I what were we talking about? I went on my Mork Borg side tangent. Oh, I'm just sorry. OSR RPG is reaching a million. So. Yeah, so I don't. Uh, that's that's very cool for um, for Kelsey. And I know. Did you back it? I think you said you did. I did. Yeah, I had I'm to back, back it. it digital yeah. because I'm too I'm too much of a peasant to back uh, physical because it was very expensive. Yeah. Uh, it's nice though. It's I'm a sucker really for the physical it. copies, but um, I'm getting to the point now where a lot of my print on demands from drive through are now falling apart. <laughs> And I was actually reading on how to do bookbinding uh, about a week ago because I'm like, I kind of want to like save these books in some way. And the the drive through print on demand glue is not uh, holding up to mm -hmm. the wear and tear of actually using a book. So, um, but yeah, yeah, I believe it. Woof. D and D um. Honor Among Thieves early screening tomorrow. I have my ticket. Are you going? I'm not going tomorrow. Oh. Uh, I continue to be too much of a plebeian. <laughs> I am going. I'm going. I'm going when it normally uh, shows up, which is in like two weeks. Yeah. But um, so I was actually because I don't want to support Watsy or yeah. whatever movie studio is putting it out. I was almost going to like torrent it out of spite, <laughs> which I will do. I do that for Marvel movies a lot because I'm like, you don't deserve my money. <laughs> but I'll still watch you. I don't know. I'll still that. watch it. <laughs> yeah. The um, but then I was like, you know, not only does Honor Among Thieves look quite good, but also uh, there are in recent years, I have discovered more independently owned movie theaters in my area. Mm -hmm. And I like to go and support them whenever I get the chance because, you know, they deserve it. I, I do the thing where they, they also have, like, much cheaper movie tickets and then concessions are still expensive. But because I want to support them, I'll, like, buy the movie ticket and then just buy a ton of food. Yeah. Well, and that's <laughs> where like, movie theaters make money. their money. So, yeah, like, for sure. Um, so I think, uh, I think so I'm going to uh, plan to do that. Yeah. When the pandemic hit, I think a lot of movie theaters were showing, like how like they make pennies for every screening of a movie like movie mm -hmm. theaters really only make money from candy and oversight and yeah. soda and popcorn and stuff uh which is too overpriced in my opinion but uh no i love my independent movie theaters too i think our indo our independent movie theater doesn't 
show mainstream movies. They they show the like indie art movies. Uh, yeah. Or like other weird ones. Like we went and saw what we do in the shadows there. You know, they'll show fun oh, movies like great. that. But that one didn't hit yeah. like, you know, regal cinemas and AMC and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Uh, well, that's that's so. the thing, right? I ran into that problem a lot too when I was when I was first having this thought process of oh, if I'm gonna go to the movies, I mm-hmm. want to go to an independent one. And there are several independent ones in my area. I live in Massachusetts, so you know that's more of a thing up here, I think. Uh, and there, yeah, there are a bunch. There are like four within driving distance of me easily. But yeah, most of them would just be like, oh, we're screening two movies, and they're both art house movies uh and sometimes yeah you want to see one of those but not often i don't mm-hmm. often find myself being like oh i really want to see this art house film so that i friday night i think i'll go check out the whale that's what i need it's right a nice, <laughs> right nice tear-filled <laughs> awful feeling for my evening yeah. um it's a beautiful film yeah but like so i don't good. want to start my weekend with it you know the uh so so yeah then i found one that's like a little more of a drive but they do mainstream stuff um and they're independently owned and the owners are really nice so i'm just like yeah go there all the time every chance i get especially now the weather's going nice getting nicer here so it's like a really pleasant drive to Mm -hmm. get up there it's like a half half hour 45 minute scenic i get there spend some money at the independent theater say hi to the people who work there that I now know and, <laughs> and see uh, a nice movie. And the movie becomes the least great part of it, honestly, but it's just nice to do. Yeah. Um, so that's how on the 30th or like that weekend, yeah. that's, that's how I'm going to see. Um, well, I'm, I'm excited. Okay. I th- I think this will be, everyone was comparing it to to like guardians of the galaxy and stuff um, where it's mm. going to be like kind of like a, a funny buddy and it's going to have Marvel movie vibes. And if I'm honest, I think I'm getting Marvel movied out and For some sure. of the later, uh, some of the more interesting Marvel movies are the ones that are going in a different direction. And I'm like, Oh, that's cool. That's different. So I was a little sad. This is kind of following that formula, but it makes sense because they want a nice safe movie and maybe they'll be able to do more interesting stuff later. Uh, that being said, so many people are going to be interested in D and D if this takes off. And I think that's a blessing for everybody who plays and runs campaigns because you'll have hopefully more players. Uh, this early screening was through Amazon prime. Uh, so if you have a prime membership, you could like, buy a ticket to this two o'clock screening on Sunday. And then I assume that's just like a perk uh, kind of a thing. I don't know. I didn't really understand, but I bought three tickets and me and my wife and my friend are going to go and uh, it should be a lot of fun. We're really excited to see it. And then I'll have a week to make content about a movie <laughs> before, <laughs> before the general public sees go. it. So that's another, there you go. That's, that's, another that's why you're doing it. Yeah. Cause you gotta work that content creator. Gotta, game. I gotta see if Zastam is actually going to be the big bad villain or if it's just random red wizard number 37. So <laughs> it better be Zastam. Just saying, I did see in the trailer there is the 1980s cartoon kids make a brief yeah. appearance. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I heard that there's probably a Critical Role reference as well, um, which my dream, and I'm not even a big Critical Role fan, but I really want those actors to be dressed up in their Vox Machina outfits 
sitting at a tavern, like arguing or playing D and D, like, but as their characters, and then just have them like in the background. I think that would be really awesome. So that would be great. We'll uh, see. Or they do the thing where like Chris Pine is walking across the the bar and he like bumps into Grog. Yeah, and then they have like a and, confrontation, and it's like yeah, I would love that so much. Or there's like a trinket uh, bear hanging out outside, and they're like, "Why is this bear here? <laughs> like, what is going on?" Um, uh, did you ever watch the Acquisition Incorporated shows, or are you do you follow those at all? I don't really follow Ack Inc. I'm sorry, and I don't have the book or anything. No, it no, all no, looks you're fun fine. and interesting, but I'm not. Da- I'm not up on yeah. that info. I was watching Ack Inc. Um, back in the fourth edition days and I just really liked it. And they, they kind of pioneered this whole live performative art RPGs that uh, everybody seems to love right now. Like, like let's go to a packed theater and watch some people play D and D on a stage. It'll be fun. Um, I was curious cause they're doing a Kickstarter to do a 10 epi- episode show. Um, and I backed it cause I like acquisitions incorporated, but uh for being Penny Arcade and for being Acquisitions Incorporated, I was surprised this wasn't fulfilled day one. I don't know why, because right? I thought there was a lot yeah. of love going into this. Uh, there's not a lot of reward other than a free show that everyone will be able to experience once it gets made. Oh. Um, but they still haven't hit their 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 goal yet, and I think they will. They're at 220000 of two hundred and fifty, and they've got 20 days to go. Uh, but it's only 10 episodes and it'll be available for anybody who wants to listen to a podcast or watch a YouTube show. Um, but it's just one of those things like they didn't have a lot of they didn't have. I don't know. I was just curious. I This was interesting because uh, it makes me wonder if Kickstarter is changing into I want a product and I'm willing to kickstart to receive that product. But if you're. I don't necessarily want to kickstart to make something happen. And maybe I'm Mm. too in the publishing mindset where I'm looking like, yeah, I want a book. And it's like, I need capital to help make this book. And so people are like, I'll front the money if you promise me a book. But in, in this sense, it reminds me kind of the, like the critical or yeah, the critical role animated series where it's like, once that got made, everybody could watch it. Um, But they were still able to raise a ton of money for the animated Mm. series. And I look at acquisitions incorporated who I always kind of held on a similar level as like the people that helped build streaming. And I find Jerry Holkins very funny and then it didn't happen. I don't know. Like this didn't blow up like I thought it would. (laughs) I, yeah, I think your, your commentary on product versus experience is probably pretty astute. Um, The only I, I think another way to look at it is the wants of the audience currently. And it's just like, and we compare it to like Shadow Dark, right? Yeah. And you think about the OGL debacle and Shadow Dark is the thing where people who are upset at 5e can be like, here's a different thing. Whereas Ack Inc. is like, here's more 5e stuff. And I could see um the general members of the community being like i'm not interested in more 5e stuff they've watsi has burned me so now i'm just gonna like do something else that actually makes me think i should look up what other 5e products are doing and i know that ghostfire is constantly making 5e products yeah i can test my theory here (laughs) 
And uh, on the good. coattails of this, though, too, while you're looking that up, uh, there was another uh, Kickstarter called Tabletop News by Watch Tabletop, which is a bunch of L.A. people who got together and they're trying to do a they're trying to raise money to do a uh, a web show, I think, of like, here's what's happening in the world of tabletop. So all kinds of board games, Magic the Gathering, all like card games and stuff, but as well as RPGs. And they have some like fun people. Like I like Becca Scott and there's a couple other really people in there, but I I looked at this and I'm like I don't even really see the need for something like this. And then going through it, there's no reward other than the show, which will be available for everybody to watch because that's what you want with a show. Uh and they're they're uh 26 days to go, but they need over $100,000 left to reach their goal and I'm not so sure they're going to do it. <laughs> Yeah, um, you know what? I'm gonna. I, I looked up some other five E Kickstarters, and they're doing yeah. very well. So I am going to defer to you that it's product versus experience. Okay. I think you're probably right about that. But yeah, to the tabletop news thing. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that niche is already filled. Not that it's bad to have competition, right? I love Dicebreaker. They also Dicebreaker feel very scrappy and independent to me, which is yeah. why I always <laughs> want to support them, right? And they're very nice people. I've talked to them a couple times. The uh, so so yeah, competition isn't bad. I don't not want these people to get involved in doing this project, but it does feel like not necessary, and it feels very very polished and produced. It feels very LA to me. Which is not necessarily does, and, a bad thing, but I think no. I'll, but I don't yeah. need it. Right? I don't need like, it. Like I yeah. don't. That's not something I'm, that's important to me. I'm fine uh, sending information to Ted for him to research and then put out a video 30 minutes later, and I can watch yeah. it. <laughs> like right? that's kind of how I feel. Where I'm like, Nerd Immersion does this really well. There's a lot like Dicebreakers does this really well in the broader sense of tabletop. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, but I don't know. It's one of those interesting things where they're. I feel like they're trying to fill a niche that, or they're trying to solve a problem that doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it does look really polished and stuff, but I I don't think a lot of people care. And there's so many bloggers out there. And Mm -hmm. I think that was, I watched their video and that was one of the things as they said, like, there's all this information, but it's so difficult to find. We're going to collect all of it and congeal it into a show for you. And I'm like, yeah, but nobody's asking you to do that. Like they're, they're <laughs> right. nobody wants, like, nobody cares about that. Like they're, they're fine reading the four or five blogs that they enjoy. I don't know. So, yeah. Yeah. I think you're right that from the perspective of the people making this, they wish there was this thing, but they are the minority of the people in the community because most people in the community are fine going to different sources. Yeah. Um, or just having their one source like Ted who will cover a bunch of different things. Let's just yeah. talk about Ted. Um, <laughs> the, uh, but no, I was going to say, I think Dicebreaker, to bring them back up, walk the line really well of something that is, oh yeah, there you go, it's something that is feels very authentic and personal, but is produced like just well enough, right? Because yeah. they have multiple people on staff, they do like fun produced videos, but they look like something you could produce yourself if you just like had a little money and the right tech. Right. So it feels super authentic. Uh, and I think that and that's what makes them feel so scrappy. And that's why I think they they nail that. They're very endearing in that way. But with this, it's like so well produced that it feels like, you know what vibe it gives me? 
a freaking what of like the the back when e3 was still a thing what of like the e3 like dev conferences right it's uh, like people in front of a green screen in nice the, outfits what was the um the video game channel like x play like what was oh that? the g4 g4 channel? it feels yeah. kind of like that where they're like we're gonna tap into gamer culture and we're mm-hmm. gonna make a, a gaming centric uh like news show for video games and i was like that didn't do the best you know i liked those people like morgan webb was cool and like things like that but it it they were again like i don't know people were fine waiting for nintendo to do their nintendo direct or something rather than like yeah we'll react to the nintendo direct i don't know mm-hmm. and with youtube now uh there's so many people that could do this and i think you're right there's a there's an aspect of of like dice breakers where they look like they're filming in their basement sometimes and so it has a relatability factor whereas this feels like a a television show that although those people are very nice they feel unrelatable and maybe that is from me personally i guess yeah (laughs) here's here's okay here's the other thing i wanted to bring up about this that i remembered it reminded me because we see all these different people who are like like on-air talent but they're not like huge names like they're not a matthew mercer yeah or what have you but they're people that like in the community you'll be like oh i've heard of this person yeah right like i've seen them before some of them are on dimension 20 if you watch that some of them have done uh like will wheaton's tabletop show stuff some of you Mm -hmm. know like they're working in la they're nerds they're they're like the b-list right um or maybe c so they're not bad but they're not like top tier right and this was this is funny. It made me think of a Kickstarter from a while back that I wa- that I hate that I hate watched for a while. That was about uh, a D and D cookbook, right? And I think I've talked to you about this before. I was so mad about it because um, uh, it was like let's have real world recipes, but it's D and D stuff. And we're it wasn't like the Heroes Feast thing because that was like a real official product. It was like a, a third party thing. But it was like Joy and of Monster Cooking, like. Yeah, but it was like Joy of Monster Cooking. I didn't hate it because it was like Joy of Monster Cooking. Listen, I made Joy of Monster Cooking. I didn't hate it because it was like that. Okay. I was I had a grudge against it because my co-author for Joy of Monster Cooking, a best-selling book about doing this thing that this Kickstarter was supposed to be about, they asked for writer submissions and he submitted. And he was like, look, I made this book that's exactly like what you do. And it sold really well. Here's my writing on it that people obviously like and sold. And they didn't hire him. And they were completely uninterested in his work. And then I looked at who they did hire, and it was all B and C list, like, popular writers on Twitter. Gotcha. So they're going for the name recognition rather than... They were going for... Yeah. And I got really annoyed about that because I'm like, none of these people have done a project like this. And then the project didn't fund. And I was like, that's because you can't try to run your project off of name recognition because that often doesn't work. You really have to have that core thing be something people really, really want. And I feel like this tabletop thing is falling into that trap where these are great people and they have name recognition, but it feels like that's what's trying to carry the project. And you can't carry a project on that unless you have an A-list person right yeah yeah like a like a matt coville like matt coville could be like this is my project and then it would fund yes exactly but that's because of who he is yeah um but then they're not going to spend they don't have the money to spend for something like that so they're going with this yeah 
I don't yeah. know. I I think uh yeah, I think we're all kind of right in our assessment here and there, but like uh I don't know. That that got me thinking about monster books and how many companies have contacted me to be like, "Will you write us a monster and submit a monster for your monster for our monster book just so my name could be associated with the Kickstarter so that it would do better?" And I'm always like, "I'm not really a design I mean, I I don't know. Like I could, but like I would I would much rather you hire somebody who like makes and plays good monsters and you know, has those creative ideas. And I might not recognize the name of the monster designer, but if you show me a really cool monster, I'll be like, oh, that's awesome. I want that. Rather than, you know, Jordan made this. And I'm like, okay. Like, <laughs> but yeah, a lot of like... them will do that. They'll contact you. And and, and I say that because like Dungeon Denizens, like Goodman Games contacted me, but they just wanted an idea. And I've noticed they haven't really been throwing my name around. So I kind of like that they're mm-hmm. not banking on celebrity stuff. Not that I'm a celebrity, like, there's 36 well, people you're... watching. We're good. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I think that, and it, it, to be fair, like having that as a, a, as a side thing, mm-hmm. having those, having that name recognition attached is great. Yeah. But, but again, you your core thing it. needs yeah. to be something else. It can't be that. Too fun. So, so yeah, that's, I think that's a pretty, you know, I think that's a good assessment. <laughs> Um, I do hope they fund though, because again, they seem like they're very nice people. <laughs> and that's the thing is, I, I we talk about this. I don't wish them ill will at all. And if they do fund, they could be doing some really interesting stuff. Um, but I also think it's it's interesting to talk about this as like, I don't know, like, is this a good thing? Uh, and this was a good conversation. Lucian has a habit of I'm going to disagree with Jordan just to make the conversation more interesting. And I'm like, yikes! I don't think you understand what we're talking about. Sometimes uh, I love Lucian. Lucian, you're probably not listening, but you're awesome. Uh, but um, that was a good talk. So uh, that's our show for the most part. Lex, do you have anything you want to plug before we take um... off? Stop by twitch.tv slash indoor adventures tonight at 8.30 Eastern Standard Time and check out the really real Ghostbusters yeah. in Terror Vision, my ongoing Ghostbusters RPG stream. It's a lot of fun. There's audience partici- participation stuff. You can send, spend channel points to affect the game, which is great. Uh, and it's just a fun, like, comedy. It's, it's very, like... N- Obviously, it's Ghostbusters, and everybody knows the vibe of that. But it is specifically, like, the real Ghostbusters 80s cartoon. Yeah. It, like, heavily inspired by by that kind of feel. So it's very cartoony and uh, and fun, and people have really been enjoying it. So check it out. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, and then uh, if you want more Lex as well, you should go subscribe to The Jocular Junction, my second channel, because uh, we do a lot of reviews there. Uh, we haven't lately, but we will. We're getting back on the wagon. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, we, we have a schedule. <laughs> We're figuring it out. And we just finished um, a DCC funnel with Bob World Builder and a couple other people. And uh, that was a lot of fun. So, um, yes, thank you so much for coming over here, Lex. That was a lot of fun hanging out with you. Um, kind of stepping up last minute. So I super appreciate it. And. Tune in next week with another episode of the Saturday Morning RPG Show. Take care. Bye.